Let's continue with worship by turning to Isaiah chapter 57, verses 14 and 15. And it shall be said, Build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. This is God's word. In his best-selling book, uh, Good to Great, Jim Collins, the author, asks, how does a good company step up to functioning as a great company? He studied some great companies to find out how they made that transition. He could have read Isaiah, but he did it the hard way. But a friend of mine went to hear Collins speak about this, and Collins said that great leaders stand out with two qualities. One quality of a great leader, he said, was a clearly focused will, a determination to endure anything to lift the company into greatness. And a second quality was modesty. He found that great leaders don't see themselves as any big deal. They see themselves as ordinary, but they produce extraordinary results. And so it is with churches. God made us to be great for His glory. And he has shown us the way. Jesus said, whoever would be great among you. You see, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be great. There's nothing wrong with a deep yearning for stature and significance and impact that will last forever. Jesus accepts the yearning for greatness. It's it's a part of what it means to be in the image of God. He accepts it as valid. He just shows us how. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Every church needs a sense of greatness, a sense of destiny, especially a Presbyterian church. We actually believe in predestination. (laughs) So we have a great destiny as a church in Christ, and we want to fulfill our destiny, and the path forward is very clear. The path forward is humility. Now, we're going to ask three questions about our passage here. Why does this matter? What does the Bible say, and how do we follow through? Uh, It's the relevance question, it's the meaning question, it's the what's next question. All right, so let's ask the why question. Uh, Why does this matter? Why are we talking about this? Well, beginning today, your session is presenting to you our ministry model as we launch into the future. We look forward in expectancy for the endless fullness. The Bible says from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Jesus Christ is one wave after wave after wave from the grace of God washing over us. He always will forever more and more. He is inexhaustible. We've only begun. There is more for us in Christ than we have yet apprehended. So what about the future? What are the next steps? In the next four sermons, I'm going to be explaining our ministry model and how every one of us can be a part of it. Now, our mission is Psalm 37.4. Why don't we say it together? Okay, reference, verse, reference. Okay, 
Psalm 37:4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37:4. We've begun to understand what that means, how profound and rich and refreshing it is. We're going to keep going, but now we're taking the next step in our thinking. We're, we're asking the question, what are we going to do with that mission? What does our mission imply about our ministry? Now, I want to explain two important things right up front. One, our objective in our ministry model is not, what's motivating us here, is not to solve a problem in our church. Every church has weaknesses. But uh, our ministry model is not driven by a problem. There is one passion driving, motivating this ministry model. We desire God. And as we pursue Him, a whole lot of things are going to sort themselves out along the way. But that's an outcome. Solving problems is an outcome, not an aim. Our aim is God Himself in His grace and mercy and goodness to bad people through the finished work of Christ on the cross. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as sewage in order that I may gain Christ. Some churches today are offering people the benefits of Christ so clearly, and they are offering Christ Himself so unclearly. But He will never allow Himself to be used as a means to some higher goal. He is the goal. He is the payoff. The greatest gift He gives is Himself. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for You, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. What we want here at Christ Presbyterian Church is Christ. He's the passion behind this ministry model. He's the reason why we're charting our course this way. We will deepen our delight in Christ by spreading our delight in Christ. That's our ministry. That's, that's the logic of it. That's the power of it. That's the passion of it. We will deepen our delight in Christ by spreading our delight in Christ to Nashville and the nations. Now, all around the world today, God is powerfully at work. God is at work in the world today. God is pouring out His Spirit onto a guilty, dying world through the finished work of Christ on the cross. God is not giving a trickle of blessing. God is giving a downpour of blessing. God-sized blessing. To what end? God is creating churches. Churches of people who want to stop treating Him like a tool for something else. And they want to learn to treat Him as the love of their hearts. The Holy Spirit is coming down.
to create churches and to renew churches filled with people who unite and pray and work to spread the good news that God is giving Himself to bad people freely, abundantly, eternally, through the cross. God is strongly at work to do this. It is very much on His heart. It is His passion. And your session is saying, let's fall in behind God. He is, He's already out there. He's at work. Let's step into that zone of God's purpose and God's power. Let's follow God in the flow of His purpose and power in the world today. And through the endless ages of eternity, no matter what this ministry costs us now, we will never regret it. That's the first thing. This, this is about God. Secondly, but it's really important to understand. As we move forward, it's so freeing to say this. As we move forward in our ministry, we're going to make a lot of mistakes. We're not saying, yeah, 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 we made some mistakes the first 25 years, but this time we are really going to get it right. We're not saying that. Listen, everybody's got to know this. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Christ of Christ Presbyterian Church, is lifting His hand of blessing over us right here at Christ Presbyterian. you know what He's saying? He's saying this, I'm not keeping score. Because of my cross, you are accepted. You are received. You are forgiven. You are loved. you got to know it. And he says now, motivated with that assurance, let's go for it. How can we say no to that? We look at the cross... We look at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We can't hold back. We can't say no. Can't, you know, play it safe, stay uninvolved. This ministry that the Lord has given to us, this church, is a stewardship, the Bible says. And in Matthew 25, the Lord says there's one thing you do with a steward. A faithful steward does one thing. He parlays what is into more. So the Lord is saying, you don't have to be perfect. I know that already. I've anticipated that. I've compensated for that ahead of time. But you do have to get busy. You do have to be faithful. You do have to be productive. Not perfect, but productive. Jesus said, to everyone who has, will more be given, and he will have an abundance. In Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower and the seeds. When we think of sowing seeds, we think of string, tying a little string, you know, and one tomato seed after another in this careful row. And the parable of the sower and the seeds is a different picture. Here's a man walking into a field, and he has this bag slung over his shoulder, and he reaches, he's got this big bag of seed, and he reaches his fist in there, and he goes, whoosh, and another one, whoosh, and another one, whoosh, and he just scatters the seed everywhere, liberally, recklessly. He just seeds. God is seeding the world with His Word. We are casting the seed of the Word across the church. God is setting before us an open door, and He wants every single one of us to walk right through it. Dream about how you can give yourself away through this ministry to deepen your delight in Christ as you spread more delight in Christ. Secondly, what? What does the Bible teach us? 
The Bible says that all true ministry begins with God. He pours out His Spirit on gospel-enjoying churches. He takes the initiative we don't. It's by His power, not ours. It's on His terms, not ours. We get the mercy. He gets the glory. That's the deal. But He does want us to throw ourselves into what He is doing. So what is our part? What does the Bible say? By His power and for His glory. Verse 14. And it shall be said, Build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. Now, whenever in the Old Testament you see a command repeated like that, build up, build up, that's like a yellow highlighter on the page. God is saying, here's something I really care about very deeply. Uh, God feels urgency about this. He wants, really, really, really wants us to build something up. What? The metaphor in that language is of a raised highway, a causeway that is so clear, nobody can miss it. It's, but he's not talking about a literal highway. Uh, this is metaphorical language, and he's talking about what we would today call a church culture. God is commanding us to build up a church culture that is a clear avenue to Christ, clear to us, clear to others. God is saying, put lesser things aside, unite in one effort, build up, build up, prepare the way for yourselves, your children, and many others to find in you a church culture so clear about Christ, so meaningful as a way to Him, that nobody can be confused. Ministry is like a highway project. Christ is the destination. And our task is to make the gospel clear with no clutter. That's the next step. He says, remove every obstruction from my people's way. In other words, inside the metaphor, he's saying, smooth out the bumps, fill in the potholes, throw away the debris and so forth. So literally in our church, there's only one obstacle to Christ. There is one obstacle we will not remove. And that obstacle is Christ himself. The Bible says in several passages that he's a stumbling block. And God helping us, we will never remove that obstruction. But we ourselves never want to be an obstruction, a complication. And the challenge that we face today in our world is that some people perceive churches as ingrown and aloof and angry and so forth, especially especially non-traditional liberal people, look, they feel alienated from Bible-believing churches because some of those churches exude rejection. And God is saying to every church, you will become more powerful in my hand as you make Jesus the only issue in your church. Put him first. And I will use you as an on-ramp for my elect, whom I'm calling out in this generation. And then God adds an incentive. Why build this kind of church culture? Do we risk losing something that we cherish for ourselves? Why humble ourselves and obey Isaiah 57.14? Because of Isaiah 57.15. 
For, that's kind of the most important word in these two verses, the first word of 57.15, for, here's the reason why we want to ask all the questions that verse 14 raises and think those through and pray those through together, follow the implications. Here's the reason why. Here's the reward. Here's the payoff. Here's the incentive. For, thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Saying yes with humble openness to verse 14 is worth everything because God dwells with the lowly and the contrite. Listen, if the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, if he comes down from his high and holy place and visits a church with his felt presence and reviving power, does that church suffer any loss? This is what you've got to know if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian. God is not offering himself as a way to maximize the usual earthly agenda for life. God is offering himself as our friend and presence. He loves to come down and dwell and linger with and visit sinful people in reviving, refreshing, renewing power. The Bible says he's not something you fit into your life. He is not an attractive sidebar. The Bible says he gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that don't even exist yet. God is not the best church improvement program. He is our life. Without him we are nothing. With him we have everything. So let's put ourselves way down low and esteem Him, and prize Him, and admire Him, and enjoy Him way up high. Far more important than anything we do at Christ's prayers is what God does at Christ's prayers. He dwells. He revives. We love Him for it. And for Him, we'll do anything. He's that good. Finally then, how? How do we follow through? I've got three ways. One, let's enjoy being in the place of absolute need for God. Not only let's locate ourselves there, which is where we are, not only will we locate ourselves there in our minds, we will love to be there because we love the display of His power. (laughs) You know, many of us could tell stories about Seasons here at Christ Pres, seasons at other churches that you've been a part of in the past where God has dwelt with your church in power. His felt presence has come down. And you know those are the greatest moments in your life. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And so we reject every backup power source. God wants us to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 
Therefore, here's an obvious follow-through. Let's develop the ministry of prayer. You see, our need for God translates into our prayer to God. If we will take Him seriously in prayer, He will take us seriously in power. And let's get beyond asking God to bless our, our weekly routine coming up. Let's pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon our church, upon our city, and upon the world in this generation. Isaiah 64.1, here's a prayer. By the way, we learn to pray not by listening to each other primarily, but we learn to pray by reading the Bible. Here's a biblical prayer. God will not say no to this prayer. He wrote it. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Think about that. Rend, tear. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That's one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. So here we are down on planet Earth. There is God in heaven in His holy and glorious habitation. And between God and us, there is, as it were, this sort of curtain of the starry sky, the universe, phenomena. Between us and God. And here we are in our need. And there is God in His overflowing fullness and grace and mercy for needy people. How should people like this pray? How can people like this pray? How does that God want people like that to pray? Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. In other words, take that veil of phenomena in your hands, your almighty hands, rip it open and step through down into our world. That gets us beyond praying that God will sort of lubricate the gears of our routines. That's a prayer that God would come down and shake the world. He loves that prayer. Listen, life is so short. You and I very soon will come to the end of this earthly life. Will we come to the end and say, Oh man, I held back. I played it safe. I didn't go for it. Rats! I wish I could hit rewind and do it again. Man alive, I missed my opportunity. This one brief flicker of life. What is the meaning of it? What is the value of it? Why are we here? Together as one to be a living demonstration that God is real. God is wonderful. He is as good as He says He is. And we pray, therefore, saving intervention. And that should be our constant prayer. Let's saturate our church with prayers for God-sized blessing. We would dishonor God if we trivialized Him in prayer. In the Psalms it says, O Lord, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Number two. So our let's enjoy being in that place of need. Absolute need for God. A.W. Tozer said it so well. For true faith, it's either God or total collapse. Who would want to live any other way? Number two. Let's humble ourselves before God. He dwells with the lowly. And not because he finds our humility attractive. The gospel tells us that he finds nothing in us attractive. (laughs) He finds everything in Christ attractive. And we are most proud when we think we're humble. It's when we accept that we are proud that we take the first step toward humility. 
So how do we get down into lowliness more and more? How do we even just take steps in the direction of meekness and lowliness? Well, here's how. Study what the Bible says about sin and about the cross. The doctrine of sin will teach us that we're worse than we ever feared. And the doctrine of the cross will teach us that we're more loved than we ever dreamed. A clear view of our sin will humble us. And a clear view of Christ will embolden us. And not only with God, but let's also humble ourselves with one another, which I think is probably a truer test of our real humility toward God, is our humility with one another. A person in the grip of pride is always looking down on things, always standing off at an emotional distance, never satisfied. Jonathan Edwards described the difference that humility makes. And outside the Bible, this is the most helpful and, to me, most beautiful thing I've ever read about humility. Spiritual pride is very apt to suspect others, while a humble saint is most jealous of himself. He is as suspicious of nothing in the world as he is of his own heart. The spiritual proud person is apt to find fault with other saints, being quick to discern and take notice of their deficiencies. But the eminently humble Christian has so much to do at home and sees so much evil in his own heart and is so concerned about it that he is not apt to be very busy with other hearts. He is apt to esteem others better than himself. Pure Christian humility disposes a person to take notice of everything that is good in others and to make the best of it and to diminish their failings and to give his eye chiefly to those things that are bad in himself. Christians who are but fellow worms ought at least to treat one another with as much humility and gentleness as Christ, who is infinitely above them, treats them. Let all judgmentalism die. We're not here to dump on each other. We're here to lift each other up. So don't come into church thinking... You know, why don't these people know how wonderful I really am and how sacrificial I really am? Come into church thinking, man, what wonderful people these are. I love these people. I love this church. This is of God. This is a holy thing. Get yourself so out of the way that you rejoice over others for the sake of Christ, even though they're imperfect. In this ministry, and hunker down, in productive humility. And let's be aware of how tricky our pride is. I mean, let's have a good laugh at ourselves every day. More than we know, more than I know, we provide our own comic relief. Uh, In the screw tape letters, you know, C.S. Lewis wrote this amazing book in which a senior devil is coaching a junior devil in how to tempt and discourage a Christian man in Britain during World War II. And uh, the senior devil at one point writes to the junior devil, your patient, that's the Christian, your patient has become humble. Have you drawn his attention to the fact? All virtues are less formidable to us once the man is aware that he has them. But this is especially true of humility. Catch him at the moment when he is really being poor in spirit and smuggle into his mind the gratifying reflection, by Jove, I'm being humble. And almost immediately, 
pride, pride at his own humility, will appear. If he awakes to the danger and tries to smother this new form of pride, make him proud of his attempt, and so on, through as many stages as you please. But don't try this for too long, for fear lest you awake his sense of humor, in which case he will merely laugh at you and go to bed. Every one of us should laugh at himself at least once a day. Finally, thirdly, let's expect the visitations of God upon us. He promises to dwell with those who put him first. Come to church not primarily to connect with your friends. Come to church to meet with God. Put him first, not second. And he will make sure that everything that is secondary and so forth, all right, he'll make sure it all works out. He's that good. He revives the spirit of the lowly and the heart of the contrite who deeply desire him and need him. Will you join your session by welcoming and revering and praying for and expecting the visitations of God dwelling among us by His power and for His glory. If you come into church empty and you feel you have nothing to offer and you're saying, Ray, what you're talking about is for spiritual giants. No way am I there. Listen, you're not excluded. This is for you. Your emptiness is God's opportunity. He says in the Scripture... I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. We're going to use Scripture now to confess our need for and our joy in the Holy Spirit who enables us to exalt Christ. Though the Lord is high, He regards the lowly, but the haughty He knows from afar. He is our Lord. We bow to Him. No one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There is no greater gift than the Holy Spirit of God. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for to him they are folly. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus Christ, You have given Yourself to us fully with joyful abandon through the cross You have completely canceled all our sins, all our debts. Everything that condemns us, everything that haunts us, everything that drives us to despair, you have swallowed up in your dying love. And now you've given us new life, new direction, new priorities, endless refreshment. We worship you and adore you in your holy name. Amen.